What is up, everyone, and welcome back to the NFL Show with your host, Matt Burba. You can find me on Twitter, at BurbTwit17, that's B-U-R-B-Twit17, and also on Instagram, at BurbGram over there. And today, we're going to start our AFC Draft Recaps, and we're going to start here with the AFC East. And this division here, we may finally see a new champion for the first time in 11 seasons, so it's going to be really exciting. The Patriots and Tom Brady, they obviously owned this division for the last 11 years, and they seemingly kind of owned the entire league for the last decade plus, but I do think this year we'll see a passing of the torch. If you listened to my last episode, I did have the Bills being the team that does dethrone the Pats this year, but... I think the Patriots will still have a good year. A lot of people are already writing them off because of their loss of Tom Brady, and that does make sense, but they're still a good team. they still got that defense there. Belichick's still there. That coaching staff's still there. I do think Jarrett Stidham's a good quarterback. I think he's going to win them some games. And Miami's another team to watch here in this division. They got a lot better this offseason. They ended the season really well last year. They added Tua. I'm a huge Brian Flores guy, so we'll see what they end up doing. And then that leaves the New York Jets. I like Sam Darnold. I love their pick at Denzel Mims. Spoiler alert. But I don't know if they're built yet for a playoff run. But without further ado, let's get right into it and see how these teams did in the 2020 NFL Draft. Let's start off here with the New England Patriots, who actually traded out of the first round at pick 23. They sent that pick to Los Angeles Chargers in exchange for picks 37 and a third rounder. So that made 37 their first selection in this year's class, and they went with Kyle Duggar, a safety at a Division II, Lenore Rain, and this guy really has all the makings to become a star here at the NFL level. He absolutely dominated the D2 level in his time there at Lenore Rain. He was on my love list. I seem to kind of always fall in love with those hybrid type of players like Isaiah Simmons, Jeremy Chin, Antonio Gibson, etc., and that really doesn't end here with Kyle Duggar. I know he's coming from the Division II level, so you may be thinking that there's no way he's that good. There's no way he should have went this high, but Trust me, he this guy is really good. He's got your prototypical size at 6'1", 220 to play that strong safety position, especially in that system there in New England. He ran well, benched well the combine, ran a 4'4'9". He also led the pack in the vertical jump, and he came in second only to Jeremy Chin in the broad jump. So his athleticism is apparent before you even click on the tape, but when you do click on the tape, he just looks out of place there at the D2 level. It's almost not fair at times with how much he stood out compared to that stereotypical Division II talent we know of. He could have played at a Power 5 school. I have no doubts about that for a second. And if there's a team that's going to showcase his talents right away, it's the New England Patriots. And that scheme there, he's going to shine right away. I don't know if he's going to start right away just because they got a ton of good guys there already in that secondary. But by the time he fully masters that playbook, he's going to be a perennial pro bowler year after year. I truly believe he's that good. I think he's a very good player. So for me to trade back, gain a third rounder, and select a really good player in Kyle Duggar, that's a win here for the Patriots. A really good start for them. They picked again here in the second round at pick 60, and this time it's Josh Uche, a linebacker at Michigan, and he's another one of those hybrid type of players. That's what he did at Michigan. He's listed as a linebacker, but he did spend most of his time rushing the passer at Michigan. He's kind of in that weird middle ground between linebacker and defensive end, but those are the type of players the Patriots do love. They do love to utilize those type of guys in that defense, guys who can kind of do a number of different things, and that's exactly what Josh Uche is. I think he'll play that similar Kyle Van Noy role that he served in his time at New England. He was another guy who was in between on being a true pass rusher or a linebacker. And with Kyle Van Noy now in Miami, they do need to fill the void that he left. But personally, I don't really know how I feel about Josh Uche. The verdict's still out for me. 
I don't think he's a good enough pass rusher to find that success at the next level. And he's not nearly proficient for me in coverage to thrive as one of those off-ball linebackers. Being that he is super versatile, I think New England will find a role to maximize his strengths like they always do. And I actually saw Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network compare him to Anthony Barr. And I really do like that comparison. They're similar guys. They're both linebackers who can get to the quarterback. They can also drop in the zone if they need to. But I don't know. I don't think he'll ever be as good as Anthony Barr. I really don't. He never really put up great stats there at Michigan. Only finished with 53 total tackles in four years there. But he did have 15 and a half sacks, which is a really good number. But for me, he's just going to be a really big question mark just to see where he fits at the NFL level. This was just a versatile scheme pick here for New England. They stay with the pass rushing vibe with their next pick. They go with Anthony Jennings, an edge rusher out of Alabama. And this dude's an absolute load coming off the edge there at 6'2", 260. He's got really good length, really long arms, explosiveness at the line, has a lot of football experience. He spent five years at Alabama, so he's got a ton of experience in an NFL scheme there already. I was really surprised to see him fall to the end of the third round here. His projection was third, fourth round pick, but... I did think teams would have a lot higher on their draft boards than his projection, but he does go at the end of the third round here to a Patriots team who I think they do need a little more in that pass rushing unit. And Jennings is a guy who he's going to produce early in his career. He's not he's not really a rookie next year. He played in 10-plus games for four straight years there at Alabama, so he's a well-seasoned prospect. He played in 48 total at Alabama, which that's a really big number for a college athlete. And in his time there... Had 193 total tackles, 33.5 went for loss, also had 14.5 sacks and 18 passes defended. He was really good at batting down passes the line of scrimmage, shows that football IQ. And he parlayed all that into a first-team All-SEC appearance in 2019. So I do like Jennings. I think he's going to be a solid pass rusher at the next level. I think he's going to produce right away. I think all three of New England's first couple picks have been pure Patriot guys. You look at them, you look at their tape, and you're like, oh, I can see this guy on the Patriots. So... So we'll see what they do with all three of those. And another, I thought it was another decent pick here for the Patriots. Next up, they address that notorious tight end position there in New England with UCLA's Devin Asi-Asi. And I really did like this pick here for the Patriots. I think he's going to be Jarrett Stidham's kind of best friend next year right away. Reminds me a lot of Evan Ingram, the Giants tight end, in the way that they're both pure pass rushers, but they can bump down and be on the line of scrimmage. They can block as well but they usually thrive in that flexed-out kind of slot primary receiver position, and I think that's the role that we're going to see Asiasi play here at the NFL level. Him opposite Edelman, the slots there, that's really good security blankets for a first-year starting quarterback, but when it comes to Asiasi as a player, he started his career in the Big Ten at Michigan before transferring to UCLA for his 2018 and 2019 seasons, and 2019 was really the only year he had any production, but in 2019, he was really good. He had 44 catches for 641 yards and four touchdowns in the Chip Kelly offense, and they've really had a revolving door at tight end for the Patriots ever since Gronk retired. I think they kind of hoped Matt Lacoste was going to be the guy, but personally, I don't think he is, and I think the Pats feel the same way. So I think we're going to see Asiasi come in immediately. He's going to contribute right away for that New England offense that they desperately need some more weapons there. Again in the third round, they went with another tight end. This time it's Dalton Keene out of Virginia Tech. So they go with back-to-back tight ends here early, which that's really weird, but Keene is another one of those 
athletic receiving tight end guys. He's a guy, he reminds me a little of Kyle Juszczyk, San Francisco's fullback, and I think they're going to use him in that kind of role as well. When he does get the football in his hands, he looks like a running back. That's why I'm saying he looks like Juszczyk. He makes people miss in the open field, and he showed that athleticism as well at the Combine. Although I do like Dalton Keene, what I really don't ex- understand here is back-to-back tight ends here in the third round. I, I highly doubt they couldn't have gotten one or maybe even both these guys in the fourth or fifth. I think they could have easily gotten Keene in the fifth, and the only explanation I have for that is they want to make Jared Stem's job really easy, and they want to be a run-first football team. That's That's kind of all I can come up with. I can see them incorporating a lot of 12-man packages with, like, the Philadelphia Eagles do a lot. I think Bill Belichick misses his tight end combo. That was amazing. And Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, they were awesome together. And that's kind of when the Patriots were most dominant. So we'll see how the Patriots end up using both these guys in New England. In the fifth round, they went with a kicker, Justin Rowasser out of Marshall. And there's no way around it. Why are you taking a kicker in the fifth round? I, I just don't understand it. He probably would have went undrafted or maybe even went in the seventh round. And if he wins the kicking in the battle in New England, he's the heir to Steven Goskowski, one of the greats. So he's got big shoes to fill there, but I don't, I don't, I never agree with a kicker or a punter ever drafted. Beginning of the sixth round, they went with interior offensive lineman Michael Onwenu out of University of Michigan. He was a part of that really solid, really good offensive line at Michigan the last couple years. And the Patriots are a team who they do need offensive line help. Tom Brady threw away the most passes last year with 40. And Rodgers was in second with 31. So he was in the lead by a lot. And that is a product of his pass catchers not being able to get separation. But it's also attributed to their offensive line as well. I think you get a guy here in Michael Onwenu who he can play either left or right guard. He can learn behind Shaq Mason at first. And then when they eventually move on from Joe Tooney, they, he can fill that role. He's not not your real athletic guy, but for his size, he does flash some athleticism at times. He's more your prototypical mauler at the guard position. He's got the perfect body for it at 6'3", 350 to be really good. Uh, he's one of those interior offensive line guys who's just tough to move once he latches on and marks his territory it's going to be really hard to get around him and move him and he's another guy who also shined in the shrine bowl in 2020 that consists of college seniors who are eligible to play for their school so i did really like this pick here for the patriots i thought it was really good value in the six to kind of improve that offensive line depth they stuck with another offensive lineman here in the six and chose offensive tackle justin heron out of wake forest and he's more of the pass blocking type as as opposed to that run blocker I think people are expecting him to kick inside the guard but I don't think he will just because of his lack of power in the run game and I just think he can handle himself better outside than he would be inside he did have a pretty decent combine ran in the five twos bench 225 27 times and he actually jumped pretty good as well but I don't think he's anything more than a depth piece early on there for the Patriots next up they went with Cash Maluia uh, linebacker out of Wyoming. He was part of that really good linebacking core that included him and Logan Wilson there in Wyoming. Three-year starter there at Wyoming. He also played a bit as a true freshman. Ran really well at his pro day, 4-5-3, 40-yard dash. Really good number for him. And he was also really good in coverage for a linebacker there for Wyoming. He had four picks in his college career, which were a lot, than a, more than a lot of corners in this class. But he's got an uphill climb. Uh, that linebacker room in New England, that's got a ton of guys in there already, so I don't see him seeing ample playing time, especially early in his career. I think he's more of that special teamer kind of guy with that tackling ability and that 40-yard dash time, so I think that'll be his niche early in his career. 
With their final pick, they went back to the offensive line in seventh and took Dustin Woodard, an interior offensive lineman out of Memphis. And he's one of those super versatile guys. You can move him on the line. He played all three interior positions in his time in Memphis. And I think that's most likely what he's going to do in New England. He's going to be that swinging interior lineman. I think he'll start up backing out backing up David Andrews at the center position, but I think he can move around to either guard position when he chooses. But, I mean, overall, I thought it was an okay class here from New England. I think Duggar, Uche, Jennings, Asi Asi, and Dalton Keene, they present a ton of upside and versatility, and that's kind of the way that I think teams want to draft. They, they want to draft guys that can do a lot of different things at different positions. Didn't agree with their pick of a kicker in the fifth round. Kick, kickers come and go, and if I were GM... I never waste a pick on a kicker or a punter, no matter the circumstances. So that's just where I'm at with that. I think Michael Onwenu can he can make this class really good if he ends up panning out. And then the rest of their picks, they were just pure depth, pure special teams guys. So if I degrade this class, it's just a C plus for me. I think this class presents some of the most upside of any class there is. So it's going to be one to watch. And I do trust Bill Belichick in that front office over there. So we'll see how they go. But it's a C plus here for me for the New England Patriots. Moving on now to the Buffalo Bills, who didn't have a first-round pick this year. They had to wait all the way to pick 54 to select their first guy, and they get A.J. Epinesa, an edge rusher out of Iowa. And I was super surprised to see Epinesa fall this far. I thought he was a lock to be a late first, early second-round guy, so I was really shocked when he fell this far. I saw the Eagles there at 53. I thought he was going to be their pick there, but obviously they go with Jalen Hurts. And he falls to Buffalo a pick later. And the Bills, they get a potential first-round talent here at 54. And he's an obvious loveless guy for me. He absolutely dominated Iowa. He was a two-time first-team All-Big Ten recipient. Was also a first-team All-American in 2019. And he's just a sack machine. He had double-digit sacks in back-to-back years in 2018 and 2019. Finished with a whopping 26 and a half sacks in his career there at Iowa. And I've kind of been searching for why he fell, and the only possible reason I can see is that he did have a bad combine. Actually, it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't horrible. I just don't think it was what scouts and GMs really expected. But, I mean, come on now. He could have ran a 10-second 40-yard dash. But if he's still giving me 10-plus sacks a year, I don't care. I'm going to take him. So getting him here, that's a real big steal for the Bills. They add now A.J. Epinesa to a really good defense, and with that, Additions on the offensive side of the ball there in Buffalo. This Bills team could be really good in 2020, so I thought this was a really good start for them here. Next up, they addressed the hole that Frank Gore created when he left this offseason. They take Zach Moss, running back out of Utah, and here's another loveless guy for me, back-to-back loveless guys for me. I think he brings exactly what the Bills need in the running back behind Devin Singletary, and I'm kind of going to go out on a limb here, but he does remind me of a lesser Ezekiel Elliott. I really do think that. I don't think he's that good, but he brings the same traits to that backfield that Zeke kind of does. He's a thicker back at 225. Didn't run great at the combine at all, but we saw that that didn't really be a big factor in where he was drafted. He was drafted still right around where he was projected to go. The main thing he does bring to the table is he's really good at breaking tackles. It's like kind of freakishly good at breaking tackles. He's really slippery. He broke 53 tackles last year at Utah, which was good for third most in the entire nation among running backs. And he also came in second 
on Pro Football Focus's final running back rankings, only behind DeAndre Swift from Georgia pre-draft. So I thought this was another really good pick here from Buffalo. I think he's the perfect guy to feature behind Singletary. He's not going to steal a ton of time from Devin Singletary. I think Singletary will still be the one there, but Moss is really good too to have there in Buffalo. The fourth round, they went with wide receiver Gabriel Davis out of UCF, and he's another guy I do like, and I do like him for the Bills because he won't necessarily need to play a huge role in that offense. They already got a receiving core there of Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, and he'll come in and provide wide receiver four value for the Bills, and I think he'll kind of hover around that his whole career. I think he's a career wide receiver 3-4, who he's kind of a primary special teamer. I do say he's a primary special teamer because he did run really well at the combine. He does show long speed in his tape. He's not quite your prototypical home run threat with 4-5 speed, but he did excel in that role at UCF. He was their field stretcher there for the past three years. Started as a true freshman, racked up over 2,400 career receiving yards and 23 touchdowns, and he added to those stats with a first-team All-AAC appearance in 2019. was also named to the Pro Football Focus's third-team All-American, so... He's got a lot of accolades, a lot of stats. But the Bills, they they didn't have a fourth receiver there on that depth chart. The next two guys there behind Diggs, Brown, and Beasley were Andre Roberts and Isaiah McKenzie. So I thought this was a really good value pick for the Bills there in the fourth round. Next up, they take quarterback Jake Fromm out of Georgia and talk about the polar opposite from Josh Allen. These guys really couldn't be any different. And personally, I'm not a Jake Fromm guy at all. Honestly, I think he kind of stinks, to be quite honest. I think he's the epitome of mediocre, and being mediocre gets you nowhere in the NFL. Imagine how much Georgia, how much better they would have been if their coaching staff gave the reins back to Jacob Eason when he came back from injury, or they passed the torch to Justin Fields and forced Jake Fromm to transfer. They'd probably have at least one national championship right now behind those incredible defenses they produce year in and year out. And he's just your prototypical kind of consistent dink and dunk quarterback he's got no mamba mentality no no real competitive edge doesn't turn it up to an extra gear when you're playing in a big game what you see in week three against arkansas state is the same exact thing you're going to see in week 13 against lsu in the sec championship and along with all that he also tested the worst athletically at the combine among quarterbacks so he doesn't even have that athleticism trait he can turn to But he is a good dude. The coaching staff there at Georgia, they loved his leadership. They loved his ability to control that locker room, which I think that's the reason he ultimately beat out two really good future NFL quarterbacks. But I don't like this pick, especially for a Buffalo Bills team here that has the exact opposite dude at quarterback now in Josh Allen. So I don't don't really understand it there from a fit standpoint. We saw Fromm fall from a projected day two pick all the way to pick 167 in the fifth round for a reason. He just got zero upside. Obviously, I hope the best for him, of course, but I'm not a fan of his. I'm not a fan of his fit with the Bills or the pick in general. Best case scenario for Jake Fromm was he got drafted to the New England Patriots in that scheme there. He could learn and from Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick there, but he doesn't. He goes to the Bills here, and I really don't like that pick. Moving on, they selected a kicker out of Georgia Southern, Tyler Bass, with the first of their two six-round picks. And once again, I'm not an advocate of ever drafting a kicker, ever, or a punter. Just sign a guy that goes undrafted or sign the best available one that gets cut after week three of the preseason. It just just doesn't make sense to me why teams would ever waste a pick on a kicker or a punter when you have a better chance of finding a diamond in the rough in the later rounds. So I don't like this pick, no matter how good Tyler Bass is. And they also have Steven Hauschka and Kerr Vedvik already there. So this pick just 
another pick that just doesn't make sense for me. With their second pick in the sixth round, they went with another wide receiver. This time it's Isaiah Hodgins out of Oregon State. And this is what I mean by about taking upside in the later rounds instead of wasting a pick on a kicker or punter. You take a guy like Isaiah Hodgins. He can be a guy who contributes for you in a big way. He's a tall guy. He's long, lengthy. He's 6'4". His hands are some of the best in this entire class. He can go up and get the ball. He can high point balls with ease. He can also be another guy that's a special teamer for you as well. And he was really good for the Beavers last two years at over 1,100 yards and 13 touchdowns just in 2019 with uh, Jake Luton throwing in the ball, who got drafted in this class. Uh, The big knock on him is his athletic ability and his lack of being able to separate from corners adequately. I think a lot of people are questioning if he's going to be able to get that kind of separation at the next level, but being 6'4", and being the fact that he's going to be a wide receiver 4 slash 5 in this offense, he's going to get your 4th or 5th DB, which I think he can handle. So I did like this pick here for you, for the Buffalo Bills. I think this is what you do in the later rounds. You grab guys with high upside and proven college production. So I did like this pick. Finally, with their last pick, they went with Dane Jackson, a quarterback out of Pittsburgh. And here's a guy I mainly see seeing time in the slot at the next level. I see him more as your nickel guy opposed to your traditional outside corner. I think he's got pretty good instincts. I think he's a really good tackler. He does shed blocks and receivers on the perimeter very well. And he's really good at finishing tackles on the outside. I think he does have some upside. I think he'll make the team and be a really good special teamer in the first couple of years in the league. And maybe down the road we can see him become an everyday guy for the Bills or someone else. So that's a wrap for this Bills class. And overall, I thought it was pretty good. I love the value of AJ Epinesa. They got a cupcake there. When a guy falls to you like that, you got to take him no matter what. I love the pick of Zach Moss as well. I think he's the perfect guy to spell Devin Singletary when he needs a blow. I like the picks of Gabriel Davis and Isaiah Hodgins. They're going to battle for that wide receiver four spot in training camp. They'll both contribute on special teams as well in year one. I absolutely hated the picks of Jake Fromm and Tyler Bass. Not a Fromm guy, and I'm also not an advocate of ever selecting a kicker or punter like I mentioned above. And then Dane Jackson. He's going to be a guy who plays primarily special teams for you, maybe bump into the nickel at times to give some guys a blow. So if I had to give this class a grade, this is a B for me. And a really solid B as well there for the Buffalo Bills. Let's move on to the New York Jets and their first selection of offensive tackle Makai Becton out of Louisville. And this dude's just the definition of scary. If there's a picture next to that word in the dictionary, it's Makai Becton. He's 6'7", 370. He ran a 5'10", 40-yard dash at the Combine at 370 pounds. That's an absolute specimen time. He's got freaky length, big hands. He's the perfect guy to protect Sam Darnold on the left side of that line. That offensive line is just really bad there in New York. They still got a ton of work to do on it, but... When you got a giant projecting your franchise quarterback's blindside, that's a really good place to start. And I think this was a pretty obvious pick here at number 11. I think they were always destined to take an offensive lineman, and it's a really good pick here, Makai Becton for the Jets. He was first-team All-ACC in 2019, as well as being awarded the James Blocking Award, which is awarded to the best blocker in the conference. I do, although, think Tristan Wirfs would have been the better pick here. He was still on the board there for the Jets at 11. I just think he's going to be really good. I had him higher on my board. I think he's a guy who can bump into guard down the line if his athleticism ever wavers. But I still think Becton's a really good pick here for the Jets. He's kind of a sure thing on that offensive line. When you watch his tape, he's just a brick wall. Addressers kind of, they look like they're getting nowhere when going up against him. And at times, it's actually kind of funny watching the smaller guys try their hardest to get around him, and they end up getting nowhere. So I thought I'd add that in. But this is a really good start here for New York. 
They really need to protect Sam Darnold at all costs if we're ever going to see him reach that next level. So a really good start here for the New York Jets. Next up, they went with a huge love list guy for me, and it's wide receiver Denzel Mims out of Baylor. And I absolutely love this dude. He's one of my favorite underrated, kind of under-the-radar prospects of this class. He's got great height at 6'3". He's your prototypical X receiver on the outside. He absolutely feasts on the outside of Baylor, and I think he's going to do much of the same here for the Jets. He's got incredible hands, probably some of the best in this entire class. And his catch rate is, is probably the biggest in this class. If you put the ball anywhere in his direction, he's going to reach out and just pick it out of the air. It's really incredible at times to watch on his tape. I thought he was an absolute lock to go in the first round. I thought he was. that's where he was destined to go. I had a mock to Minnesota at 22, but obviously we saw Justin Jefferson fall to them, so that's an obvious pick there for them. But I was still super surprised to see him not go at all on day one. 12 wide receivers went before him. 12. That's ridiculous. He's a top five receiver in this loaded class, and he's the perfect guy to help Sam Darnold there in New York. I don't know what else he really had to do to boost his stock. He was spectacular in college. He had 1,887 yards and eight touchdowns in 2017, 794 and eight touchdowns in 2018, and 1,020 yards and 12 touchdowns in 2019. So he had the production, and then he goes to the combine, runs a 4.38, which was third among all receivers. So I'm still kind of struggling to understand how he fell all the way to 59. I saw Philadelphia at 53 and wanted them to double dip at wide receiver so bad and take Denzel Mims, but obviously they take Jalen Hurts. And it's another really good pick here from Joe Douglas. They're really knocking it out of the park with these first two picks there for New York. In the third, they went with Ashton Davis, a safety out of Cal. And here's another loveless guy for me. He's a blazing fast safety. He's actually a former walk-on there for Cal. So going from walk-on to the third round pick in the draft is crazy. Can't help but root for a guy like that. And he also ran track at Cal as well. In 2019, he won the Pac-12 110-meter title there and was also named a second-team track All-American. So he's kind of that all-around athlete. But he's another guy who I thought should have went a lot higher than he did. I thought he was an early second-round guy, but the Jets get another guy who fell all the way down the board. He's kind of your prototypical coverage safety. He can cover probably the most ground in this entire class of any safety. And that combination of him and Jamal Williams, Jamal, Jamal Williams, Jamal Adams is going to be really good for the back end of that secondary. You get the power in Jamal Adams. You get the finesse in Ashton Davis. I think he does start out behind Marcus May there, but I think he's going to be on the field a lot early in his career for the Jets. They just really don't have anyone else there in that free role other than May and Ashton Davis. So he's virtually a lock to get early experience. And I mean, he should. He's a really good player. He had seven interceptions in his career at Cal and was first team all Pac-12 in 2018, second team all Pac-12 in 2019. Just one of those really tough safeties. It's perfect for the city of New York. I think Joe Douglas in that front office, they're knocking it out with those first three picks. Picked again in the third round, this time at pick 79. They went with Jabari Zuniga, an edge rusher out of Florida. And this is a guy who missed a lot of time his senior year. He dealt with a high ankle sprain all season. And those are that's, those are just one of those injuries that are just debilitating. The only real thing to get them better is just rest and heal. So that's what he opted to do. He only played in five games as a senior. But he did play in 39 games for the Gators in his four-year career there. So he's not one of those guys with major injury concerns coming into this draft. And he's another guy I like. He has incredible speed and bend coming out of the edge great at timing of the snap, getting a huge jump on tackles. He actually ran the second highest 40-yard dash among defensive linemen at the Combine, and also benched 225 29 times, which was in the top five as well. He's just a guy 
who fell because he just had lack of play in 2019. He got hurt. And if he didn't get hurt in 2019, I think he's a second-round pick locked. And I think the Jets get another steal here, a third-straight steal here. He has all the makings to be a really good player in the NFL, and he reminds me a lot of Yannick Ngakwe. So another really good value pick here for the Jets. Next up, the one with a LaMichael Pirine, a running back out of Florida. So it's back-to-back Florida guys here for the Jets. And Piran was a really seasoned back at Florida. He got time the moment he stepped foot on campus there as a true freshman, but he never really got fed at Florida like you hear running backs do get fed in college. I think he was actually underutilized at time, at times, and they never really had a great running game the whole time he was there as well. Personally, I'm not super high on him. I am outside my top 10 in running backs in this draft class. And being that they do have Le'Veon Bell there and they just signed the legendary Frank Gore, I just don't like this pick. This is the first pick from Joe Douglas I really don't like. They have too many holes in this team to waste a fourth on a running back. So I would have loved them to see them go back to the offensive line here. Logan Stenberg was still there. So it was Kevin Donson and Ben Brennison. They just got to make rebuilding that offensive line a high priority. And I really just don't agree with them taking P. Ryan here in the fourth. Next up, and another pick I really don't like. They picked James Morgan, a quarterback at a Florida International. And it's the same argument I have for the P. Ryan pick. Just too many to- holes on this team to be wasting on ba- wasting any picks here. But people did fall in love with James Morgan in the pre-draft prospect. And honestly, watching his tape and watching his combine, I really don't know why. I'm guessing people just kind of fell in love with his size, his intangibles, and the fact that he's been starting since he was a redshirt freshman. You know, so... But he is a guy, he did start out at Bowling Green, but he did end up at FIU for his junior and senior seasons where he threw for over 5,300 yards in two years. But I mean, he's nothing more than a developmental guy. And, and I think the reason the Jets took him this high is because they saw how bad they got when Darnold wasn't in the lineup last year. They actually didn't win a game when Darnold wasn't in the lineup last year. So they definitely, I guess, need to address that backup quarterback position. So you can't really blame him for this pick. So, I don't know. In my opinion, they should have went elsewhere, but they're kind of looking for that not to happen ever again. But their final pick in the fourth round, they went with Cameron Clark, an offensive lineman out of Charlotte. And I really like this pick here for the Jets. They get back on track here. Clark kind of brings that nasty attitude to that New York offensive line, and I think that's what they've kind of been lacking on that offensive line there in New York. Did play left tackle on his time at Charlotte, but I do think he's a guy that can bump into guard at the next level. And I say that because he's just a physical being. He's a nasty mauler in the run game. Wants to punish opposing defensive linemen every play. Played in a program record 39 games there at Charlotte, so experience is not really an issue. And pairing him and Becton on the left side of that line, that could be really nasty for opposing defenses, and that could be really fun to see Le'Veon Bell run behind. So I thought this was a good pick here in the fourth round. Cameron Clark to the Jets. In the fifth, they slot out another guy who fell down the draft boards, and it's it's time. It's Bryce Hall, cornerback out of Virginia. And if you told me at the beginning of last season that Bryce Hall would be a fifth-round pick, I would have told you you were crazy. This guy was a projected first to second-round pick in the 2019 draft class. He decided to come back to UVA for one year, for his senior year. But, I mean, that obviously didn't go as planned. He ended up going down with an ankle injury early that kicked him out all year. But this is incredible value here for the Jets in the fifth. He's one of those especially long corners that he really excels in the zone coverage. He's also super physical at the point of attack. He was a second-team All-American in 2018. 
Unfortunately, his coming back to school gamble didn't pay off, but he does find a home in New York where he does have a chance to come in and contribute right away. I thought it was good value for them in the fifth. With their final pick, they went with punter Braden Mann out of Texas A&M. And obviously, I'm not going to go too far into him, but this dude does have a rocket for a leg. He was a unanimous All-American in 2018 and first-team All-SEC in back-to-back years in 2018 and 2019. Also won the Ray Guy Award in 2018, which is presented to the nation's most outstanding punter. So he's going to come in and be their punter right away. Obviously, I'm not a kicker or punter guy, but they actually didn't have a punter, so they take their final pick on a punter. I guess that's all right, but... Overall, I thought it was a really, really good class here for the Jets. I loved what they did with their first four picks of Mekhi Becton, Denzel Mims, Ashton Javis, Jabari Zuniga. I think Becton is a lock to be a solid player, and Denzel Mims has superstar potential. I honestly see Denzel Mims being the next Julio Jones. I really feel that way. I know that's a crazy take, but that's how I feel. I didn't love the picks of LaMichael Piran and James Morgan. Just thought they should have gotten better value there in the fourth round. And then I love the picks of Cameron Clark and Bryce Hall late, and then obviously the punter in the with their final pick. I thought they were incredible value for them. So putting a grade to this class, I think this is an A- for me. I loved what Joe Douglas did in his first Jets draft. I think they got a good foundation to build on there in New York. Moving on now to the final team in the AFC East, and that's the Miami Dolphins in their 11 draft pick this year. So once we get through the most important guys, I'll kind of speed through the rest of their draft class a little quicker. But let's dive into it with our first selection. They go with Tua Tagovailoa, quarterback out of Alabama, and he's an obvious loveless guy for me. I love Tua. I think him and Burrow, they're the only two quarterbacks in this class that are going to be part of that kind of next generation of quarterbacks we see with Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz. A lot of people are worried about him, though, with his injury history. He was frequently injured at Alabama, but I mean, when he played, this dude was electric. Let me just read off some awards here to start from uh, for all the Tua doubters out there real quick. College Football Playoff Offensive MVP in 2017. Sporting News College Football Player of the Year in 2018, Maxwell Award winner in 2018, Walter Camp Award winner in 2018, SEC Offensive Player of the Year in 2018, All-American in 2018, and second team All-SEC in 2019, even after getting injured. So, I mean, this dude has all the awards and accolades to go with all the skill set he brings to Miami. And I just love everything about him. The moment was never too big for Tua, and we saw that when he won a national championship against Georgia. He always brought that calm mentality to the Alabama offense, and I think he's going to carry that into his NFL career. Just a rare personality trait from him. And when you watch him play, I mean, I feel like watching him, he's never out of a game. I feel like no matter how much they're down, they, they always have a chance to come back when they have Tua at quarterback. I mean, he just has it. I don't think he's better than Joe Burrow, because I think Joe Burrow's a Hall of Famer, but I do think he's going to be awesome. I'm excited to see how they utilize him in 2020. Is he going to start right away, or are they going to kind of have Ryan Fitzpatrick start the season? I don't know. If it were me, I'm starting Tua right away. I mean, if his medicals check out, I'm starting him right away, but it's obviously not my choice. So it'll be it'll be fun to see what Brian Flores and his staff will have to do with him. With their second of three first-round picks, they went with Austin Jackson, an offensive tackle to USC. And I just, I really didn't like this pick for Miami. They desperately do need help along that offensive line. But I'm not an Austin Jackson guy. I think he's the biggest project among the offensive linemen that went in the first couple rounds. Obviously, there's potential there. He's 6'6", 310. But I don't think this guy's a first-round pick, let alone a top-20 pick. They need guys that are going to come in right away and make plays for them. They don't need these project guys who take years and years to develop. 
And I also thought there was too much good talent on the board there to pass up. I would have loved to see them take Justin Jefferson here. I was super surprised that they didn't take a wide receiver at all through this entire class. Pairing Justin Jefferson and Tua, that's a terrific foundation to build on there in Miami. But they ultimately go with Austin Jackson here. And I don't even think he comes in and starts right away. And you don't take a guy at 18 to come in and not contribute right away. So it doesn't make sense for me. I didn't like this pick. So I thought this was a really bad way to waste a first-round pick here from Miami. With our final pick in the first round, then with Noah Igbenogamy, a cornerback out of Auburn. And I'm not a huge fan of this pick either. I wasn't a fan of his coming into the draft. He's just super raw at that cornerback position. He's only played corner for two years. He got recruited to play receiver at Auburn. And they eventually convert him full-time to corner after his freshman season. I think he is a really good athlete and can do a lot of things for a defense. And he's also really good in the return game. He did really well there for Auburn. I think we're going to see him kick down and kind of fill that nickel role at the next level. I think that's best suited where he where he is, where he'd thrive. I would have loved to see them go with Xavier McKinney here or DeAndre Swift. And, I mean, could you imagine an offense next year of Tua, Justin Jefferson, and DeAndre Swift? That's just an incredible foundation to build on. So... I just think here in the first round, aside from the Tua pick, the Dolphins really struck out here in the first round. I didn't really like two of their three picks here. Moving into their first of two second-round picks, then with Robert Hunt, an interior offensive lineman out of Louisiana Lafayette. And here's a pick I finally do like. Robert Hunt, he's super big, super nasty. He's really mean in the run game, really wants to punish guys when he latches on. He's kind of a guy that he'll lay on you after the play just to show everyone that he absolutely dominate you and plant you six feet in the ground. Uh, he mo- did mostly play tackle in his time at Louisiana Lafayette, but I think we're definitely going to see him bump down inside the inside a guard the next level just because he's so powerful in the run game and once he sets his feet and establishes his ground he's also tough to move in pass protection as well so moving him into guard that may be the right decision here for Miami he was also first team all Sunbelt in 2019 and second team all Sunbelt in 2018 so the growth was there from 2018 to 2019 as well didn't participate in the combine and I thought that was a good move for him just because he does lack some athleticism compared to the other linemen in this class. I think he does get over-eager at times, especially in the run game. Kind of shoots his hand real quick, wants to just demolish you right off the snap. But you'd rather have an over-eager guy than a guy that's super timid like Andre Dillard. So with all that being said, I would have rather liked them see them go with Antoine Winfield Jr. here. I think they need safety help more than everything. They have the corners in Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. They just need a couple guys to go in between them on the back end there. But nonetheless, I like this pick. It's a solid pick there for that offensive line there in Miami. Next up, they went with Raekwon Davis, an interior defensive lineman out of Alabama. And he's just an absolutely huge presence there in the middle of a defensive line. He's 6'7", 315. And he's been a mainstay on that Alabama defensive line since 2017. And But ever since then, his play has just seemingly declined. 2017 was the first year he started, and he had the best year of his career. He recorded 69 total tackles, 10 win for loss, 8.5 sacks. But his next two years, only had two combined sacks and only 8 tackles for loss. So his production fell off an absolute cliff. So I don't like this pick. I don't think it's a good pick. There's so much talent there on the board at pick 56. I would have much rather liked to see them go with Jeremy Chin here or Denzel Mims or even Willie Gay Jr. And I feel like I keep saying that about every pick, but it's really how I feel for this class so far for me, man. I mean, they had a ton of picks here in this class, and I think they butchered three out of their first five. So once again, I don't like this pick there for the Miami Dolphins. 
In the third, they go with Brandon Jones, a safety out of Texas. And here's finally another pick I like for the Dolphins. They finally address that safety position that I've been so wanting them to address earlier. Jones, he brings a really physical element to your defense. He was second team all Big 12 in 2019. He's going to be a strong safety at the next level as opposed to playing in that free position. He's really good in the run game. His physicality and pursuit is what I really like about him. He absolutely flies to the football. He plays with a reckless abandon. He's also great rushing the passer as well when they need him to. Where he does show weakness is his ability to excel in man coverage. He wasn't great at it in college, even though they didn't have him do it a terrible amount of much. He didn't participate in the combine, but I don't think he needed to to show kind of what kind of athleticism he does bring to the table. Worst case scenario for this guy, he's a really good special teamer. I think he can play on all four teams, and I think he can do them very well. So I did like this pick here for Miami. Next up, they went back to the offensive line. This time it's Solomon Kinley, an interior offensive lineman out of Georgia. And this dude's just an absolute mauler. He's 6'4", 336. So he's a little heavy, but I think being in an NFL trading regiment, he, that'll, that'll just fix that. It's really good in pass protection because he's another guy that once he establishes his feet, he's just tough to move and get around. But he's another one of those developmental guys, and that's three developmental guys along an offensive line now in this class for Miami. And I just think they should have sought out some guys especially early, who are already a little more seasoned and a little more proven and not more developmental. He's also not the most athletic guy, and being that Tua is a dual-threat quarterback, I don't see how he fits there. But, I mean, we'll see how he develops. We'll see how they use him there in Miami. In the fifth, they go with Jason Strobridge, an edge rusher out of North Carolina. And he's a guy who fell on draft day. I think a lot of people thought he was a late third early fourth round pick but he ends up falling to the beginning of the fifth round and I think he does find a good home in Miami who does need some help at that edge rusher position he's got good size at 6'4 275 he ran all right at the combine he ran a 489 40 yard dash benched all right as well 26 reps at 225 he did mostly play on the interior of that defensive line there at North Carolina but I don't I do think he has the ability to play outside and I think that's ultimately what he's going to do at Miami they, they run that kind of 3-4 there and they convert Wilkins to a primary edge rusher last year in his rookie year. I do think they do the same thing with Strobridge. But personally, watching his tape, I don't think he's going to be great at the NFL level. I don't think he's anything more than a backup rotational guy here for me. But that's a fifth-round pick. That, that's what fifth-round picks will give you. Next up, then, with Curtis Weaver, another edge rusher, this time out of Boise State. And he's yet another guy who fell on draft day. This dude did everything possible to boost his draft stock and still ended up being a fifth-round pick. He was the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year in 2019 and a two-time first-team All-Mountain West Conference participant. He had 34 sacks in Boise State. 34 sacks in three years at Boise State. That number is crazy. Another crazy number is 47.5 tackles for loss he had there in three years there as well. He has the most tackles for loss in a career in Mountain West history and is also the career sack leader there as well. So this guy absolutely dominated that conference for three straight years. The reason he did fall was it's because of his athleticism. He's probably going to be more of your rotational kind of guy for Miami, just like Jason Strobridge is, like I mentioned above. I do like Weaver a decent amount than I do Strobridge. I think he's going to be better, but nonetheless, another ro de rotational depth piece here for the Dolphins. Beginning of the sixth, they drafted a long snapper out of LSU, Blake Ferguson, and yeah, he's a long snapper. He's not going to do much else, so let's move on. And finally, with their last pick, they went with wide receiver, Slash running back kinda 
Malcolm Perry at a Navy, and he was their quarterback there at Navy. He was running that notorious kind of triple option that they run there, and he was really electric doing it. He was really shifty. He's fun to watch. Always played hard every snap for Navy, but he's going to be a practice squad guy most likely, at least early in his career. I don't think he's going to make the team in his rookie year, and if he does, he's going to be nothing more than a special teamer and probably the 51st or 52nd or 53rd guy on the 53-man roster. And overall, I thought this was a big, big strikeout for a draft class for the Miami Dolphins. They had a ton of picks in the class, and I don't think they nearly got enough value at all. Aside from the Tua pick, I really don't love any of the other 10 players in this draft class at all. I really don't. If I had to draft in this class with how the board fell, I would have went with Tua at 5, Justin Jefferson at 18, DeAndre Swift at 30, Marlon Davidson at 39, Jeremy Chin at 56, Josh Jones at 70, Logan Stenberg at 111, Bradley and I at 154, Michael Onwenu at 164, Khalil Davis at 185, and then finally we'll stick with Malcolm Perry there at 246. That would have been an incredible class for the Dolphins, and they had the ability to do that. So with all that being said, I'm giving this class a D plus, and the only reason it's not worse than the Packers is because of Tua. When you get a franchise quarterback, your class can't really be enough. So I thought they did a really, really bad job for this class in Miami. So that's a wrap for how I feel about the AFC East and how these teams did this year in the 2020 NFL Draft. This division is going to be really interesting next year. Is someone going to finally dethrone the evil empire that is the New England Patriots? We'll really just have to wait and see. But to sum it all up, the New York Jets had the best draft class in this division with an A-minus grade. Buffalo came in second for me with a solid B. New England came in third with a C plus And holding up the rear... It's the Miami Dolphins with a D plus. So that's it. That's it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Tune in next time. We're going to be taking on the AFC South and taking a look at those draft classes.